I am excited to talk to you about what you see on the screen there, James 2, the real meaning. But before we go to James 2, go ahead and just jump over to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, get your Bible prepped and ready right there. I'm so um, privileged and honored to be able to stand here before you and speak in place of Pastor Jesse. Um, He doesn't give his pulpit away to many people, but um, he entrusts me, and I'm so thankful for that. I'm really blessed. And so um, I just, I came to this topic this morning because, um, as you know, I work for the church, and one of the parts where I work for the church is in the YouTube ministry, and I do the social media of the church. I run, I help uh, with, I do the, direct the youth group, but I also do this media work, and I work through Facebook and Twitter and YouTube, and I'm constantly talking to people on those platforms, online, responding to people, and uh, it's interesting some of the responses you get, especially when it comes to James chapter 2. So that's kind of what led me to wanting to speak to you this morning about that topic. So many people uh, just misconstrue this chapter in Scripture. They make it say what it doesn't actually say. We need to know what the Bible actually says. We need to know how to explain it and explain it properly. Um, Because James chapter 2 is thrown at me so much in these comment sections on YouTube. And um, people, you know, they'll they'll always go to this. They'll go to two spots in James chapter 2 when they're referring to, you know, how to be saved into eternal life. They'll say, well, don't you know about faith without works is dead? You know, don't you know about the demons believe and tremble? Raise your hand. I'm curious. Raise your hand and get you involved. Raise your hand if you have heard those, somebody's used those against you, those two phrases. Raise your hand. Wow. Wow. Okay. Most of you. Wow. So a lot of people say what James is not actually saying. They skip chapter one. They don't even look at chapter three. They go right to chapter two. They don't start at the beginning. They go right to the middle of chapter two. And they say what James is not actually saying. So this morning, we're going to start in Acts chapter eight. And we're going to start in verse 1, and you'll see why as we go along. I'm going to explain this as we go along. Because this morning, we're going to take a look later on at James chapter 2, the real meaning. And before we read, uh, before it escapes my mind, I wanted to pray for a few things. Um, I want to pray for Pastor Freddie Coyle. You know, a lot of you know him. Uh, he's got a little paper down the hall if you wanted to read about his ministry. Um, he had, obviously, if you don't know, he had cancer in his brain. They took it out of tumor, and he's recovering from that. He has been going through treatments, but I want to pray for him. I want to pray for another person Carl mentioned who is dealing with similar issues, and I want to pray for Jay um, going through cancerous issues. So let's lift them up in prayer uh, before we start reading the scripture. Join me, please. Heavenly Father, I just, uh, we just praise you and thank you for your grace and your mercy, and we lift up to you, um, Pastor Freddie Coyle. We lift up to you, Carl's friend, and we lift up to you, um, Jay Kaminsky right now dealing with similar, similar issues. Lord, we just pray for healing, pray for guiding of the doctors dealing in those situations. We pray that your grace and mercy is shown abundantly, and we pray that many people would be reached through um, the faithfulness of those individuals. And I pray for Carl's friend, if not saved, that he would be, be saved, Lord, that Carl would be faithful to share the gospel, if not already. And Lord, we just lift these up to you for healing. We pray also for Pastor Jesse, who is not with us this morning. I pray that he would have a great time of rest and uh, that he would honor you and uh, reach many souls where he is, as he is also preaching this morning in John's church. Thank you, Heavenly Father. I thank you most of all for your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that this, the word this morning would be clear and understandable. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you for praying with me. You're in Acts chapter 8. Look with me at verse 1. 
it says, And Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Paul's there. So here we see in Acts chapter 8, the persecution is beginning. You have Saul before he trusted Christ as his Savior and was then called Paul. Saul is persecuting. Remember, he was holding the coat of Stephen, who was stoned to death in Acts chapter 7. Stephen gave his great speech. His great, he was preaching at the men against the men, and they stoned him. He was killed, and Saul was right there. And we see in Acts chapter 8, 1, that great persecution came toward the church, the whole church, and they were scattered abroad. They were scattered all throughout the region, around the Mediterranean, and all throughout Israel, and, and so on and so forth. They were scattered abroad. We see similar language in James chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. James is addressing a people there. We'll look at it in a moment. He's addressing a people there who they were also scattered abroad, perhaps also due to this dispersion. So the church is being scattered and things are happening. This begins a wave of false doctrines, a wave of new teachings and, and different persecutions. The Christians are being attacked for their faith. And then we're going to jump skip to Acts chapter 15 with me. Jump, jump to Acts 15. A little time has passed between Acts 8 and Acts 15. You have Peter going out, and now you have Paul and Barnabas going out. And it leads us to Acts 15. Paul is now saved, and he's sharing the gospel faithfully. He's reaching many, many with the gospel, predominantly Gentile, but also Jewish. And one of the themes we're going to see as we dive into Acts 15 is, as we're leading into James 2 as well, is this idea of false doctrine creeping in and leading to division amongst the persecution that was happening toward the church, toward believers in Christ. So we're going to see division and false doctrine pummeling these believers and coming amongst these believers. Acts chapter 15, look at verse 1 with me. It says, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. Pause there. A lot of people online that I talk to, like I said, they come at me with James 2, 14, or 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, that section of verses, you know, faith without works is dead. And they use it the same way that these Judaizers use it. They say, you know, yes, you have your faith, cool, you trusted in the risen one, Jesus Christ, you trusted in him, but don't you know that if that faith doesn't produce works in your life, then you're not really saved. Faith without works is dead. The demons believe and tremble. Don't you know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? This is the things they'll say. And they'll say what James is not saying. We're going to see what he's saying. But the same thing was happening in Acts chapter 15, toward the church. And this is going to cause a big meeting between Paul, Peter, James, John, and other leaders of the church. They're going to discuss these issues, and we'll see what they come to. But they said, except you're circumcised after the manner of Moses, you can't be saved. Sure, faith in Jesus, but you've got to be circumcised too. Verse 2, when therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, that means they got it on. They were defending against this false doctrine. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through uh, Phinehas and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles. 
and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. And there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying, that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Here we have an addition. Okay, so it was circumcision in verse 1 and 2, but now we see they have to be circumcised and keep the law. Funny thing about these guys, they had already believed the truth, so they understand it's three things now, faith in Christ, get circumcised, and keep the law. All three now, otherwise you're not saved. And this is the same thing that people use James chapter 2 in our day to attack us with as well, this false doctrine. Don't you know that faith without works is dead? Meaning, if you have faith, but you don't have any works, i.e. keeping the law and circumcision, as they said, right? If you don't have these works, you're not saved. You're not saved. Yikes. Keep reading. Verse, skip to verse 7. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago, God made choice among us, the Jews, that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Pause there. One of the themes that James is going to talk about addresses somewhat the division between Jew and Gentile. He, he, the specific division that's going to be happening we'll see in James is the rich and the poor. But we see here this division between Jew and Gentile going on in this day, and it's causing a lot of false doctrine to pour in as well, because the Jew, so high and mighty in this day in particular, they would think of themselves so high and mighty, and the Gentile over here, the mixed breed, if you will, I don't say any of these things to offend, but that's how they looked at them. The Jew would look at the Gentile and look down on that person and condemn that person, so much so that they would try to put laws over the Gentile's head that God had never declared would save a person. The Gentiles would look down on this person, and the Gentiles also were so fed up with the Jew, they're looking at them so high and mighty and pompous and pious. And there's this great division going on, and we see that illustrated in Acts chapter 15. The Jew is trying to lord themselves over the Gentile and and preach a gospel that does not save, and the division was creeping in. Verse 9, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. So Peter is laying out the case that there's no difference between the Jew and Gentile. There's no dividing line when it comes to the gospel of Christ. Both can be saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 10, Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. So the Jew and the Gentile, as Peter so eloquently lays out, is saved by faith alone in Christ alone, plus nothing else. Both saved the same way. So Paul had come up from disputing with these Judaizers. Those guys told him, go and see Peter and James and John and y'all talk about this. And so they're all here. Paul and Barnabas They've been uh, preaching the clear gospel of faith alone in Christ alone. Here we see Peter preaching the clear gospel of faith alone in Christ alone. And now, let's see what James says. Verse 12, Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, here he is, men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them 
a people for his name, and to agree the words of the prophets as it is written, After this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord, and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. He's agreeing with Peter there, Jew and Gentile, that's his point. Verse 19, Wherefore, my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. So, these Judaizers were coming in and persecuting and attacking the Gentiles and saying, you know, it's not just faith alone, it's circumcision and the law. You need all three. And so James is saying, no, we shouldn't trouble them with this because James here is agreeing with Paul and Peter on the matter. It's faith alone in Christ alone. What he did on the cross is what saves a person. Amen, right? That's what saves a person. James is agreeing with that. But look what he says in verse 20. But that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. Why would he say that? Why would he say that? We're going to see a similar theme in James and the things that James writes about in his book toward believers. James, throughout the scripture, he understands the gospel is by faith alone and Christ alone, but his writings and what he says here is toward the idea of spiritual maturity. The Gentile who has placed his or her faith in Jesus Christ should Change a couple things, not to be saved, but James is saying, don't do these things because the Jews are looking at you and they're saying, look at all these things you're doing and they're condemning you according to those things. So what James is saying is, yes, faith alone and Christ alone, but also do these things so then the Jew and the Gentile, they can get along. That's what it's about, get along, break this division, break this wall down, right? Get along with each other so that, we, so that the gospel can go further. Let me, let me explain. James 1 and 2 in the rest of the book, he's saying, yes, faith alone and Christ alone. But work, because believer, your work is going to profit others. If the Gentile were to continue as a believer and commit fornication and uh, things uh, to idols and strangled with blood and so on and so forth, those four things, if he were to continue that, the Jew over here is like, this believing Jew is looking at him and he's like, ah, why is he doing that? You see the picture, the, the big division happening here. And so James is saying we ought to get along here because we know that the gospel is by faith alone and Christ alone. So let's try to fix these other issues too. And that's what he's, that's what he's writing about here. James is not saying faith alone plus, you know, don't, don't idol worship, don't do this, don't do this, or you're not saved. That's not his point. He's saying you're saved by faith, but do these things so this division can stop. And that's part of what James is going to dive into. You'll see in James chapter 2. Verse um, 21. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. Then pleased it the, uh, the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely... Judas, surnamed Barsabbas, and Silas, chief men among the brethren. And they wrote letters by them after this manner. The apostles and elders and brethren send greeting unto the brothers, which are the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. Forasmuch as we have heard that certain men which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. So James and Paul 
and Peter, and we see in Galatians, John was there too. These four pillars of the church, okay, who the people looked to at that time, they were apostles for the answers, right? Who they looked to, they all agreed that the gospel is by faith alone in Christ alone plus nothing else. James says, we gave no such commandment that a person is saved by faith and circumcision and keeping the law. That is a false gospel message. We need to say what James does say. James is not going to dive in in chapter 2 and say, you are saved by faith and keeping your good deeds or keeping working or obeying. You're saved that way. No, he says you're saved by faith alone plus nothing else. But you, believer, need to get to work. And I'll stop there. We're not in James yet. But he says they gave no such commandment. So Paul and Barnabas and uh, Peter, James and John, they all agreed on the matter. They all agreed on this. That is faith alone in Christ alone. With that, quickly go over to Galatians with me. We have time to go here. I didn't plan to go here. Sorry, Robert. Galatians chapter 2. Regarding this meeting between James, John, Peter, and Paul, Paul is writing here in Galatians, and he's doing a callback to this meeting that they had. But look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 1. Then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, Acts chapter 15, and took Titus with me also, and I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. The gospel that he was preaching among the Gentiles was Gentile. You believe in Jesus Christ that he died on the cross, paid for your sins. He was buried, rose again. You believe that, you're saved. That's what Paul preached. The gospel which I preached among the Gentiles but privately to them which were reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who is with me, being Greek, was compelled to be circumcised, because they knew that circumcision didn't save a man. Titus was not fully Jew. It says, verse 4, And that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. So you had these Jewish brethren, saved brethren, coming in and saying that the other Jews and the Gentiles needed to also be circumcised and keep the law. Paul is referencing this. They, they crept in, and they were trying to bring Paul and his ministry into bondage. They were preaching this false idea about how to be saved. Verse 5, To whom these people, Paul, we, gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, <laughs> that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. You remember I said, Paul, he had no small disputation. He warred, he fought with these people, words, not fists. He, he declared war on this doctrine because they were bringing in a false idea of how to be saved. And he said, we didn't even give them the time of day. We, we said what we said, it was the truth, but they denied it. And so he went up to meet with Paul and Peter, he went up to meet with Peter, James, and John. And that's what he's referring to. He was sparring with these people, and then he went up to this meeting. Verse 6. But of these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me, God accepteth no man's person. For they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me, 
But contrarywise, on the, on the uh, under, other end of the spectrum, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, circumcision is Jew, uncircumcision is Gentile, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. Key in on verse 9, notice this. And when James, Cephas, Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, received the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship. Pause there. Robert, come here. I need you. I know we don't, this is so off the cuff. Come here. You guys are like, what is he doing? Come here. I'll be Paul, Peter, James, and John right here, okay? Back up a little bit. Get this on camera. The right hands of fellowship. That right there, my friends, is the right hands of fellowship. Paul, Peter, James, and John, they agreed on the gospel. Thank you. Have a seat. They believed the same message. And so Peter, James, and John sent Paul and Barnabas with letters with friends to help them get the same message to, the, to more of the Gentiles. They agreed on this message. And so you see how this is very, very, very important. When we go to James chapter 2, we will see that James, a few years later, has not changed his message from faith alone in Christ alone. It does not change a few books down the road, a few years down the road. He's preaching the same thing. James does not have a message of faith plus works to be saved into eternal life. James has a message that is the same as Paul's. Faith alone and Christ alone saves into eternal life. But his book, James 1 through 5, is written for a different purpose. And I want us to see that, especially as we see James chapter 2. We need to know what it actually says. But so many people say what James does not actually say. And especially, I kid you not, in YouTube when I'm commenting, you guys probably see me, I put a little dash Trent next to my name. You'll see me commenting on the Bible on YouTube channel. And so I'm responding to these people. And, you know, God bless if you're in here, if you're online. God bless you who also comment with me. That's so much. It's awesome. But I comment and respond to these people and they reply back with James chapter 2. You know, it's faith plus works. You look at it from, uh, from, I use this as my standard, a Catholic side of the world, okay? And the Catholic says, when they look at James 2, they say, you know, it's faith and your works and you're saved. But then if you look at it from a more Protestant Calvinistic side of view, okay, when you, when, what they interpret James 2 is they say it's faith alone in Christ alone, but real saving faith will have works automatically. That's what they say. Is that true? Is that what James is saying? Is that the point of James chapter 2? That if, yes, you're saved by faith alone and Christ alone, this is the predominant message, the Calvinist view. They say it's faith alone and Christ alone, yeah, you're saved, but your faith will produce works. If it doesn't, then you were never saved. That's what they'll tell you. This is the leading message in America today. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. Paul Washer, John MacArthur, R.C. Sproul, I can name them off. I don't care to say their names because they're preaching a false message. And they'll use James chapter 2 to bring believers into bondage. The same message that Paul was preaching that you and I believe according to the Scripture, not according to some man, 
These people will preach and use James 2 incorrectly to bring us into bondage, into another gospel, which he says in Galatians 1 is not another gospel. There's only one. It's faith alone in Christ alone plus nothing else. No works are required on the front side. No works are required on the back side. If any works are required for me to be saved, I will never be saved. I will never be saved by my own works. I cannot attain to the perfection of what Christ attained to on the cross. I cannot meet the standard because we all deserve to die and spend eternity in hell even if it was only one little sin. The sin had to be paid for, and Jesus Christ made the payment on the cross by his shed blood. He died, was buried, rose again, and the offer is to anyone. If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you trust in him, not yourself, in him, what he did, you're saved into eternal life. And that never changes. Even if you stop working, it never changes. But James's message is telling the believer to keep working because you're saved. That's the message of James. I'm passionate about this just like Pastor Jesse. You know, I get passionate because people are leading other people, one, who don't know the gospel. These preachers are leading them straight to hell by the false message. Or they're telling people like you and I who have believed, okay, who have believed in Christ as our Savior, faith alone plus nothing. nothing. They're telling us to continue to do something else, add it on to what we've already believed, But that message also does not save. It's false. And so what uh, uh, Paul is saying here in Galatians is we've agreed. I've agreed with James and Peter and John. We shook on this. They sent me out. But notice verse 10. I need a drink of water. This country boy can hoot and holler. I was born in Athens, Georgia. That's why I'm such a big fan, you guys. Verse 10 says, only they would, Peter, James, and John, notice this, only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. So remember, James gave that little list, and they mentioned remembering the poor. James actually addresses in his book the rich and the poor. That is predominantly the audience, the church he's addressing. The Jewish uh, audience in the church They were putting the rich above the poor. And so Paul notes here that they would remember the poor. The same which also I was forward to do. So Paul was like, okay, we agree on the gospel. I'll I'll do this too because it's right to do. Remember the poor. Verse 11. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. Why is this? For before that certain came from James, those Judaizers, right, from Jerusalem, He did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. Here's the idea. So Paul later on meets up with Peter, and so they're chilling, they're eating with the Gentiles. Okay, but then some Jews came along, and they come in, and Peter's like, whoop, I can't eat with the Gentiles anymore. Yikes, no, I'm not with those guys, those fornicators, you know, those, no, he didn't say that, but you know, you get the idea, okay? He, you get this idea, he's jumping up from the table and he's going over with his Jewish buddies. And Paul's like, no, 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 Peter. 
because this was happening because of the division between the Jew and the Gentile. But what they were trying, what Paul was trying to reconcile, and what God through the Holy Spirit was trying to illustrate to Peter and others was the gospel is for Jew and Gentile together. It's the same message. But Peter hops up and he's like, oh, see what Paul says. Separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision, the Jews. And the other Jews dissembled likewise. So Peter brings a posse with him. Those Jews that were with the Gentiles, he brings them with him. Dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation, their hypocrisy. Peter was being a straight-up hypocrite. He was a two-faced Christian in this moment. He's saying, I know that the gospel is for Jew and Gentile, but these Jews, they're looking at me funny hanging out with these Gentiles. I, I can't do that. i got to go hang out with my Jewish buddies and pretend that I'm... Mm. That's Peter's attitude here. And Paul's like, no, Peter. Verse 14. But when I, Paul, saw that they, Peter and his buddies, walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all. He doesn't even pull him aside. This is so egregious what Peter did. If thou being a Jew, livest after the manner of the Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified, declared righteous, by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we, Paul, Peter, the whole crowd, we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Paul is standing and withstanding Peter to the face amidst them all, the Jewish and the Gentile crowd. And he's saying, you know better. You're sitting with the Gentiles, but then you get up when your Jewish buddies come and you go over here. And why are you compelling these Gentiles to act the same way in which God never told us to act? He never told us to do that. There's no division in Jesus Christ. It's by faith alone and Christ alone plus nothing else. You don't have to do the Jewish things. You don't have to do the Gentile things to be saved. It's one thing that saves, faith in Christ that saves. And that's what Paul is saying. It's nothing more, nothing less, Christ alone. That's it. And he's saying, we have believed in Jesus Christ. We've done this. So why are you being a hypocrite and trying to bring these Gentiles into bondage that God never told us to tell them. Because the Jews, you remember, they were given the law. They were given the promises. They had Moses. They had Abraham. They were the chosen people of God. But they fumbled. And so God would do something new in the church, and he would build up the church and try to reach Jew and Gentile. The whole point of God choosing the Jewish nation was to reach the Gentile. But they failed. I talked about this when I talked about it in uh, Isaiah 53 a few months ago. They failed in their mission. And so Paul understood this. He understood that God was for the Jew and the Gentile, that grace is for everyone in the whole world. But Peter, he had a little lapse, and Paul withstood him to the face. And we see that Peter later on, he got it straightened out. I believe it was according to Paul. And so skip, skip, look at verse 21. Notice this. I, Paul, do not frustrate the grace of God. He doesn't set it aside. For if righteousness... God's righteousness, come by the law. Remember, circumcision and keeping the law is what they were telling him. 
if righteousness, if going to heaven, if having salvation, if being saved, if getting God's righteousness applied to your account, righteousness, come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. There's two reasons Christ is dead in vain. There's two reasons your faith is in vain. Okay? You want to know what those two reasons are? The scripture is very clear. Two reasons your faith is null and void, meaning it's pointless that you believe. It's pointless that Jesus died. It's if you can go to heaven by being good enough, he died for no reason. Your faith is for no reason. And number two, if Jesus Christ never rose from the grave, then your faith is for no reason. And so Paul is saying the one, he's saying, if your righteousness, if you go to heaven by your own works, by keeping the law, by keeping those words that Moses wrote down, if it's by keeping those things, then Jesus Christ died for no reason. No reason. If getting circumcised and keeping the law was the requirement, he did not have to die. And if James is saying that we go to heaven by trusting in Jesus Christ and our works, he didn't have to die. It's only by works. It's only by works. That is a false message. It's only by Jesus Christ. But people will tell you this, and pastors will tell you this. People on YouTube will tell you this. More people, I believe, are uh, sitting in a chair at home watching on YouTube than they are sitting in pews and actually trying to learn the Word of God. Yikes. But more people are watching on YouTube, and they're seeing these pastors and teachers teaching this false message that does not save. They'll say things like, you know, (laughs) saved by faith alone, but it's not a faith that is alone. You've also got to have works. And if you They'll, they'll put a double standard, you know. They'll pretend as though they never commit adultery in their mind. They'll pretend as though they never actually kill their brother in their mind. They hate their brother. You hate them. You're a wicked person. You hate them. When Jesus compares the idea of adultery and murder, we're all condemned by those sins because you do it right here. And so they put this standard and say, you have to sin less. Otherwise, you're not really saved. It's faith plus works, and then you have to sin less, otherwise you weren't really saved. But in reality, we're all condemned, especially here. You see, the problem is we could never attain to the righteousness of God by our own good deeds because we don't meet the standard on the outside, but especially on the inside. We do not meet that standard. We all fall short of the glory of God. That's why he had to die and pay for our sins. It was the only way to go to heaven. And it will be the only way from here and forever. It was the only way in Abraham's day, which we'll see. It's the only way in the tribulation, which we won't talk about today. And it's going to be the only way in the kingdom when they see Jesus Christ ruling and reigning. The gospel is by faith alone and Christ alone that he died and paid for all of our sins. He was risen again. That's it. Full stop, as the kids say. Go to James chapter 1. Here we go, finally, getting to the book that I intended to teach about. James chapter 1. And we're going to see, what does James actually talk about? What is he actually trying to tell us? Is James a gospel tract, like we hang on the back wall, is it a gospel tract to the unsaved person telling them how to go to heaven? Or is James written for another purpose? We're going to see that. I just wanted to give you a couple notes here. Um, The majority of your New Testament... All right, if you hold that bad boy up, the majority of this little portion of everybody over here is not written to unsaved people. It's not. It's not written to unsaved people. It's written to saved people. 
It's telling saved people how you should act because you're saved. It's not telling unsaved people how to go to heaven. The majority of the New Testament is telling a saved man how she, he should live, he or, he, he or she should live his or her life so that you can reach more of the unsaved. That's what the majority of your New Testament is trying to tell you. That's what the prophets were pointing through to through Jesus Christ. Okay, so James is writing for a different reason. And on that note about the books in the New Testament, the only book that I would ever recommend to an unsaved person to read, if I had to step away out of the conversation, never meet them again, you know, I share the gospel with them using the illustration. If I had to leave them with a book to read, it would be John, not even Romans. What? Romans is written to believing people in Romans. Look at Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. It's written to believers. The majority of your New Testament is to believers, not to the unsaved. But anyway, on that note, James is the same way. James is not writing to unbelieving Jews to tell them how to have or keep their salvation. James, look at verse 1 of chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes. So we know we're talking about Jewish people, okay? Which are scattered abroad greeting. You remember in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, scattered abroad. So they're still scattered by this time. Christians are spreading out throughout all the world, right? Jesus had come and gone, and by this time we got all the apostles spread out and all the churches spread out. Paul's doing his ministry. And James is writing to these 12 tribes, scattered abroad greeting, verse 2, my brethren, Count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. There we see in verses 1 through 3, we see two indicators. He calls them his brethren. And he's not calling them this just because they're his flesh and blood Jewish brethren. He's calling them this because they're saved. And we see they're saved by the key indicator number 2, verse, uh, chapter, uh, verse 3 says, Faith. They have faith in Jesus Christ. He'll call on this a few times, and he'll call them his brethren. He'll reference their faith. They have believed in Jesus Christ as their Savior. The audience of James is believers. He is not writing a gospel tract to tell unsaved people how to go to heaven. Okay? Verse, skip, skip, to verse 8. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. I want you to remember that verse as you go through James. He kind of hinges off of that idea. He's hinging off the idea because he's going to present the idea of the rich and the poor all throughout his book and how this church is being double-minded. They're being hypocritical toward the rich and toward the poor. They're raising up the rich just like the Jews were raising up themselves over the Gentiles, right? You see the comparison? They're raising up the rich, this church is, these Jews, and they're putting down the poor. And this isn't him saying like, you know, the rich can go to heaven, the poor can go to hell. He's, the idea of James is not about going to heaven. The entire book is not concerned with that. It's assumed that everyone he's talking to has believed in Jesus Christ. It's already been assumed. So when you get to chapter 2, we're not concerned with, hey there, buddy, you got enough works to know you're saved? That's not the conversation at all. We need to say what James is saying, not what James is not saying, okay? It's like, I won't say that joke. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So he's going to compare these ideas as we go through. And you see in chapters 1 through 5, this idea is reiterated. Like in chapter 3, 
when you get to the tongue. He says, your mouth can't curse and then bring forth sweet words at the same time, right? You can't have it both ways. It doesn't work. You're being a hypocrite. You're doing one or you're doing the other. You can't have it both ways. You're double-minded. You're, you're cursing the poor, but you're raising up the rich. You're talking sweet to them. And he's going to give us a very clear example in chapter 2. Skip, skip now in, ver- in chapter 1. I want you to see verse 22. I don't know if Florida water tastes as good as Georgia water, but it's pretty good. Yikes. I better stop or Jesse might not let me up here again. No. <laughs> so James chapter 1 verse 22 says this, But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. That's like a mirror. For he beholdeth himself, looks at himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. So he's saying, you're you're acting this way. It's like you wake up in the morning, you're looking in the mirror, all right? And your hair looks like this. Yikes, I better fix that. Your hair looks like this, but then you just go about your way and you don't fix it. When in reality, you need to look in that mirror and you need to fix that hair. Otherwise, like, what are you doing? You're not presenting yourself in a worthy manner. You're not, you know, I should comb my hair before I get in the pulpit. But that's what James is saying. He's saying, look in the mirror, fix it, do it. You hear the word, you've read it, you've studied it, you've heard it, do it. Do what it says. Be a doer of the word. My hair's going to be messed up the whole sermon now. Be a doer of the word. Don't be like looking in that mirror and then, oh, it's crazy. See ya. (laughs) You don't walk out of your house that way. We shouldn't read the word of God that way. Be a doer of the word, believer. You see how if, if James was talking to unsaved people, then this right here, it's just not doable. Why? Because we don't always do the word. We don't always do what it says. You and I are some really disobedient children of God. You be honest, we are. And so if, if James is talking to unsaved people and telling them to be doers of the word, they're going to fall short every time. Why? Because even the believers fall short every time. That's why he's telling them, be a doer, get to work. Verse 25, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, that's the word of God, and continueth therein, being a doer, he being not a forgetful hearer, not looking in the mirror and just walking away, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If you do what the word of God says, that doesn't get you to heaven by obeying it, right? That doesn't get you to heaven. That just means God's going to bless you. He's going to rain down riches and rewards. You're not going to become a millionaire. That's not what I'm saying. But he's going to bless you for what you do. And that's what James is hinting at. Because these believers are not being doers of what they actually have heard and received. You see, verse 26. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, he elaborates in James 3 on this, but deceiveth his own heart. He's double-minded. You're believing one thing, you're doing another, right? Double-minded. You're deceiving your own heart. This man's religion is in vain. So these believers, to get the picture here, they're raising up the rich, putting down the poor, and they think they're just so great in doing that. They think they're so religious. Raising up the rich, putting down the poor, so religious. Well, James says that religion right there that you believe, that's, that's empty. That's in vain. This is the message of James. He's telling believers how to be spiritually mature, how to grow up on top of that faith in which they've already received. You've already believed in Jesus Christ. What now are you doing because you are saved? 
You see the idea? Verse 27, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. When you think of the fatherless and widows, what do you normally think of? This isn't the case for everyone, but you normally think of poor, not rich. This is his point. They're putting down even the fatherless and the widows. They're not even visiting them. They're not even helping them. They're raising up these rich men who are throwing the dollars at them and giving them the nice pews to sit on probably in their church. But they're putting down the poor. And this is James' message. He's like, no, God is not a respecter of persons. It's the same message to all. So you as a believer in Christ, you treat the rich man the same way you treat the poor man. It's no difference. It's the same example between Jew and Gentile. There's no difference. You treat the Jew the same way you treat the Gentile. And we're all saved the same way, and we should serve the same way. That's the message of James. I think of this, I'm going to use this example because we all know him, and he wouldn't mind me saying this. He wouldn't mind me sharing this. Uh, The gentleman, the NFL player, used to sit over here, if you didn't know that. Grant Hermans, he was an NFL player over here. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, Miami Miami Dolphins, and the New York Jets is what he played for. He's looking at other teams. God bless him. He's, he's a believer in Christ. He came here, trusted Christ as his Savior, and he started sharing the gospel. God bless him. But anyway, to use him as an example, he's a big man. He, he's sharp, and he's been playing for the NFL, and he could walk in those doors, and we could look at him and be like, that's a cool guy right there. Ooh, he plays for the NFL. He's probably got money. He's probably got a lot of money. We could look at him that way and think, oh, man. Oh, man. But then you see a homeless man walk in, sitting in the back all alone. Don't even look at him. Don't even care about him. Shouldn't be that way. God forbid. That's the message of James. Now, it's great that he plays for the NFL. That's cool. I mean, if Tom Brady walked through the doors, autographs, cool, fine, whatever. But we should not put them on a pedestal, idolize them, put them above while we watch the fatherless, the widows, and the the homeless suffer. Don't even have food. Don't even have a dollar to to pay their bills. That's the message of James. James is like a big smack to the mouth for the believer. It's not a book written to tell unsaved people how to go to heaven. It's to tell the believer, you've believed, but what are you now doing? That's the point. So now, James chapter 2 and verse 1. Look what it says. My brethren, there he says it again, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. They possess faith in Jesus Christ. There it is. The Lord of glory with respect of persons. In James chapter 2, he's going to give five examples going off this point. Five examples of how they should not be respecting persons. He's going to use individuals from the Old Testament, and he's going to use individuals um, that are not even in bodies, the demons, and he's going to use individuals who are in their church, the rich and the poor, okay? In hypothetical situations, some of them. But look in James 2, verse 2. Here's example number one. Are you ready? For if there come into your assembly, where you are, you're having church, a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, ooh, looks so good, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment. Think of the homeless, for example. And you have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, the nice clothing is what that means, the nice, good-looking clothing, and say unto him, to the rich man, sit thou here in a good place. And you say to the poor, stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. 
Did you see? Do you get the picture? The rich man, you come up here. Come up here. Sit right here in the front row. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice gold ring, bro. Nice. Sit up here. You have that nice seat. And the poor man walks in. You're like, you sit back there. Oh, or you could sit under this guy's feet. That'd be nice. He needs, he needs somewhere to prop his feet up. That's the picture. This is what was happening in their church. Raising up the rich, putting down the poor. This is not how we should be as believers in Jesus Christ. I don't care if you play for the NFL, if you're on the streets. I treat you the same because Jesus Christ didn't look at me differently. When he died for my sin on the cross, based upon the way I look, based upon the way I act, based upon the sins that I have committed, he didn't look at me and say, I'm not going to die for you. God forbid. So we should treat other people the same way. This is the message of James. Verse 4. Are you not then partial in yourselves, you hypocrites, and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? We see in Corinth, when he's referring to that church, he's saying it doesn't matter about the standard of who you are. God says if you put faith in him, you're saved and he wants to use you. He doesn't, he doesn't choose based upon the way you look or based upon this or that. He doesn't even choose who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. Boy, we released a video on YouTube about that, about uh, John MacArthur saying that Jesus only died for those who died in him. No, Jesus died for all, and those who believe in him are saved, okay? But God is not choosing based upon certain characteristics. Anyone can be saved, and anyone can serve him, rich or poor. That's the point. Verse 6, but you have despised the poor, do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which you are called? So these rich people that they're raising up and they're, they're promoting and probably getting the dollars from, these are the guys that are blaspheming the very name in which they believe. They probably don't even believe in Jesus Christ, these rich men. But these believers are looking at these rich people and saying, I like you. I like what you have to offer me in my flesh. Verse 8. If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. But if you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now, if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. He's making a comparison here. Again, he's not making a salvific statement, even though it stands true that we all fall short, right? But he's not using this to tell people how to be saved or, or how they fall short from being saved. That's not what James is saying. He's drawing comparison with how they're respecting people based upon how they are. So in reality, these believers are probably thinking, well, I don't commit adultery. I'm good. Yeah. But in reality, in their mind, they're hating, they're murdering their brother who is poor, He's being murdered while they raise up these rich people. That's what Jesus refers to, the murder in your mind, the hate in your head is compared to murder. You're putting down these poor people. Yikes. And in reality, yeah, you don't commit adultery maybe, but you're, you're still breaking the law because you're murdering your poor brother in Christ. That's the point of James. James is saying, don't do this. Don't do that. He's not saying don't do it so you can go to heaven. He's saying don't do it because you're going to heaven. Are those poor people even saved? You don't give them the time of day. 
That's his point. Verse 12. So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. Where did we see that? James 1.25. Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So he says in verse 12 of James 2, Speak and do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. This is why James later talks about the tongue, because evidently these believers are speaking one thing and really not believing it, and they're all over the place, right? Salt water, fresh water. He makes the comparison. You're being hypocritical. But in chapter 2, he's getting into the doing. What are you doing? Verse 13. Pay very close attention here. For he, God, shall have judgment without mercy that has showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. There is a judgment coming for the believer. You cannot escape it. And at this judgment, God will not show you mercy based upon your faith in Christ. What? Because it's not a judgment to determine whether or not you go to heaven or hell. This is, you, you get to this judgment because you've believed. You're going to heaven. This is a judgment based upon what are you doing now for God? What works are you producing in your life? And if you only have a little or if you have a lot, that does not determine if you go to heaven. That's not James's point. He's saying there's a judgment for the believer based upon your works. Because you're going to heaven, what have you done? Verse 14. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith? Here's the hypothetical. Though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? Save him from what? Question to a question. Save him from what? That judgment. Will his faith alone save him at that judgment? No. Why? Because this is not a judgment to see if you're going to heaven or if you're going to hell. Your faith alone has gotten you there. You are going to the judgment seat of Christ because you've believed. But now you will be judged according to what you have done. And at that judgment, God will have no mercy. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. There's going to be a fire. And he lays out, if you, if you recall this, we don't have time to go there. You have the wood, the hay, the stubble. You have the gold, the silver, the precious stones. This is the judgment. This is a picture, right? And you have the believer standing in between. And this believer has some wood, hay, and stubble. And he has some gold, silver, precious stones. And you can see, you picture in your mind the materials, right? And you have a big fire that comes up. The believer, he's squeaky clean. He's got a bubble around him, right? He's going to heaven, the believer is. That will never change. You're at the judgment. But then wood, hay, and stubble, when fire hits wood, hay, and stubble, vanish. When fire hits gold, silver, precious stone, it remains. What are you trying to say, Trent? The wood, hand stubble, it's what you never did for God. The gold, the silver, and precious stones is the doer, doing stuff for God. It's the work you put in. It's the helping the poor. It's the helping the fatherless and the widows. It's the sharing of your faith. It's the study of your scripture. That is the gold, silver, precious stones. And God will not show any mercy because the fire is going to hit it all. It's going to hit it all. And what you're left with is what he will reward you with. Whatever that looks like, we don't know. But you're going to heaven. It's just you could go to heaven with a little bit of that reward, whatever it may be, or you could go to heaven with a lot of bit of that, whatever it may be. That is James's message. Your faith will not save you there. Your faith got you there, okay? You're, the judgment is in heaven. You're already there, Okay? So your faith won't save you there. What will? Example two, verse 15. 
If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? The question is about profitability. Wood, hand, stubble, not profitable. Gold, silver, precious stones, profitable, right? We want profitability, okay? So he says, if someone comes on your door at nighttime, say it's midnight, they knock on your door. Hey, uh, brother, I'm going to use Robert. Robert, Robert. And he and Robert opens the door. He's like, how you doing, brother? And Robert says, man, I'm, I'm hungry. My house burnt down. It hasn't, but my house burnt down, and uh, you know my wife and kids there with family right now. We really need some food. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I need something, man. Can you help me? And you look at them, and you say, "Be warmed and filled, brother." Close the door in their face and walk away. Did you help them? You didn't do anything. You just you might even pray for them. But what if you got a stack of bread in your kitchen you could have given them, and you chose not to? The difference is. Sure, you may believe that Robert's going to get the food he needs. You may believe that he's going to get what he needs, you know. God is sure to supply that what he needs. But what if God <clears throat> what if God is telling you to supply that need that Robert needs? You got a stack of loaves, you got some, you got cases of water in your in your fridge and stuff and you could give him a few of that. You could give him some, that's works. That is what you're judged upon. Sure, you both got faith, but what are you doing to help this guy? That's James's message. 17, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Dead does not mean their faith never existed. That's what the Calvinist, the uh, common um, Presbyterian, and so on and so forth view says, okay? This Calvinist viewpoint says your faith never existed if you never had any works. But we have already established that your faith is not what's on trial here. Your salvation is not what's on trial in James. It's your works as a saved person. Do you see the difference? This means yes, this means no. I hope you see the difference, okay? I'm just playing, you guys. I like to have fun. Your faith is unprofitable. Think of a dead body, okay? That's what the word means here. He's referring to a dead body. Dead body sure is useless. The spirit probably went to heaven, but man, that dead body, it's got nothing to offer. You can't get anything from a dead body. So a Christian who has faith who just stands here, do, 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 do. You don't do anything. Your faith is dead. You're not doing a thing for anybody else. You're going to heaven, sure, but Robert's not getting any bread. You see the difference? (laughs) Verse 18. Guys, this is so simple, but pastors use this the wrong way. We need to say what James is saying, not what James is not saying. Verse 18. Yea, here's the hypothetical. A man may say, quote, Thou hast faith and I have works. Cool. Show me thy faith without thy works, dude, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God? Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. That's key. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? So many people, even clear gospel preachers, okay, I'm not bashing on anybody, but I've heard them talk about it, and they don't actually say what James's point is. When it says the devils believe and tremble, He's drawing on this illustration. You have a man who has faith and works, good. And you have a man who has faith, no works, bad. And he draws on this comparison with the demons. The demons, they have faith and they tremble. What are they trembling at? The judgment that they are going to have. Demons 
obviously don't go to heaven. They'll go to hell, but they know, they have in the back of their mind that judgment. This is why when Jesus Christ would appear into them and he would cast them out, they would tremble at his appearing. They'd be scared to death. They Don't send us too early to the judgment. Let us go into these pigs over here. I'm drawing on a lot of different scriptures. That's why they, they were afraid. They know they're coming judgment. They know they're going to hell. And you know what? The demons aren't sitting around. They have faith and they tremble. They are working to deceive us. They are busy. Have you ever thought about this? The demons are very busy. They are working hard. Satan's not just, mm, no, he's a roaring lion looking about whom he's going to devour. 1 Peter chapter 5. This is not saying, hey, you, you've believed just like these demons have believed, but look, the demons aren't going to heaven. So if you just have faith, you're not going to heaven either. It's not what James is saying. He is not concerned with if you're going to heaven. He's concerned with you know you're going to heaven. What are you doing? That's James's point. Whew. Verse 21 says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? That means entire, complete, mature, okay? So Abraham, we won't have time, but Genesis 12 through 15, Abraham receives the promise. In thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed, right? And we see in Galatians, that's a reference to Jesus Christ. Abraham believed in the promise that God would eventually send his son to die on the cross and pay for all the sins. I personally believe that Abraham knew all the details. That's my personal belief. But Abraham believed what God had promised about the coming Messiah, and he was saved in that moment. Genesis 15, 6. Mark it down. Genesis 15, 6. Romans chapter 4. If you're a Bible student, mark it down. He believed and he was declared righteous before God. But Abraham did more. He wasn't a Christian sitting idly by, not doing anything. He believed in the promise, but he also acted upon it. Go to Genesis 22. This is probably where we'll, we'll end. Genesis chapter 22. I know we're covering a lot of scripture, but if you don't do the whole chapter, you, you don't see the whole thing of what James is trying to illustrate. And I want you to have a defense against the false doctrines that creep in unaware. Genesis 22, verse 1. We're going to read through this without a lot of commentary due to time. The story here is Abraham and Isaac. God commanded him to do something. Abraham was going to do it. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. He was testing him, not tempting him to sin. He was testing him. And said unto him, God said to Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham said, Behold, here I am. And he, God said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I tell thee of. So he tells Abraham, take your son, take the materials, go up to the mountain. You're going to offer your son. Wow, how about some news? Good news, right? No. Verse 3, And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took two of the young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering. So Abraham knew what the offering was supposed to be. Rose up, went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, that's interesting, 
Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go up yonder and worship and come again to you. That word yonder, that's a Georgia word right there. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> the Bible uses that word. So anyway, so Abraham's like, you two stay here. I'm going to take Isaac the materials. We're going to go up to Mount Moriah and we're going to sacrifice. Okay, continue. It says in verse 6, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father... And Abraham said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, Listen to this, beautiful. My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. So Isaac's laying down now on the wood, bound down. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Look at me. To slay his son. He was getting ready to do it. And then we get to verse 11. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven. I imagine it's a shout, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham said, he said, here am I. And he said, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know, what? Listen, now I know that thou art saved into eternal life. No, that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. There is so much packed in here that I would love to pick apart. But the point is, Abraham was commanded to do, and he did. Abraham had already believed, but God had more for him, for him to do, and he did. Abraham was justified by doing the right thing in that moment. He did not get more righteous in God's eyes. But what God was doing was testing him, to see if he would do what he told him to do. And the picture is so beautiful that God would send his own son to die on a wooden cross one day. In the same way that Abraham illustrated with his son, you notice that the work that we should do should always be based upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. It should always call back to the gospel because the illustration of Abraham and his son Isaac that he would offer up his only son to die according to what God had commanded. But it was based upon the initial promise that Abraham, in Genesis 15, if you would believe me, I'll give you my righteousness, knowing that Jesus would come. This is a beautiful example. Abraham offering his own son that one day Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would come and die on the cross as an offering for all the sin of all the world. The work Abraham did pointed to the cross. It's amazing. The work we believers should do should point back to Jesus Christ. That's the whole point of why James is telling them to work. Get to work. The poor man might not even know the gospel. The rich man, he doesn't even believe. He's oppressing you. Have you reached him too? Do what Abraham did. Obey. Not to go to heaven because you're going to heaven. Abraham knew he would be judged one day. We should know the same thing. We will be judged one day based upon what we have done for God in our bodies, for our brothers in Christ, for the lost. You will be judged. Every word you speak will be judged. You cannot escape it. God will not show you mercy, but you're going to get there because you've already believed in Christ. The message of James and the rest of his book, not just chapter 2, is that you have believed in Christ 
Yeah, you're going through a hard time. You're persecuted. Times are tough. You're scattered abroad. There's false doctrine. But you know you've been saved. Stop lifting up these other people and putting down these guys and get to work because both of them might not even be saved. What are you doing? Do you see the idea? Get to work. Be a doer of the word, not just a hearer only. Sure, you believe it, but what are you doing? Abraham was a believer, but he was a doer too. That is the point of James chapter 2. That is the point of the book of James. Don't just be a hearer. Don't just sit soaking sour that, yeah, you're going to squeak into heaven. You will. You've believed. But now, what are you doing? What are you doing? Because you have just believed you're going to be judged, and there's going to be a whole lot of wood, hay, and precious, or uh, wood, hay, and stubble. It's going to be burned up because you did nothing. You did nothing to serve the Lord. You'll get into heaven, but you'll miss out on the gold, silver, precious stones. You'll miss out. So what's it going to be? James is the decisional book. You hear it, will you do it? That's the, that's the point of James. I hope this helped you this morning. You can close your Bible. Hope you were taking notes. I want to illustrate this last thing because there may be someone in our midst or maybe someone watching online who does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, don't read the book of James yet because that's not what he's talking about. You need to know how to go to heaven and then we can talk about James. Here's how you can know for sure that if you die today, you go to heaven. Watch my hands closely. This hand will represent us and the whole world and this sin block Yay, I get to use it. Or represent our sin. We all have sin on us. God loves us. He doesn't like our sin. Why? Because the sin separates us from God. It separates us. God is perfect. He has no sin. But we have it. We all sin. And because of the sin, we deserve to die and pay for it in hell for all eternity. We deserve separation from God for all eternity. But God didn't want that. He looked at us. He loves us. He wants us to go to heaven. He wants us to be just as righteous as him. But that's the whole problem is because we all have sin. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But there's good news. The gift of God is eternal life through who? Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. You see, many a preacher may say, yeah, you can just sin a little less. You can just turn around. You can get water baptized. But it's still there. The sin is still there. The sin has to be paid. And so what Jesus Christ did is he made the payment. He made the transaction. He who had no sin, look, became sin for us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. He was buried in the grave. He rose from the dead. The sin was paid in full, not halfway, not 99%, 100% of your sin, my sin, the whole world's sin got paid in full. And all you have to do to have eternal life, to have his righteousness, is believe that he did it for you. Believe that Jesus Christ died and paid for your sins. He was buried, he rose from the dead. Believe it and you receive it, everlasting life. You receive it as a free gift God will never kick you out. You can't do anything to get out. There's no escaping. And you, believer, you believe that, you have eternal security. But here's my second part. What are you now doing? If you've believed that, if you're over the internet, you in the crowd, if you believe that, you have everlasting life. You have it. But now, believer, what are we doing? Are we doing what James and the rest of the Bible says to do? Not to be saved, but because we are saved. If not, Maybe we should do what he says. Let's pray together. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you understood that little illustration with the sin block, 
If you understood the gospel for the first time, I would want to know that. All you have to do is not by being a doer to go to heaven. It's not by working your way to heaven. It's not by being a better person to go to heaven. Will you put your faith right now where you're sitting or online? Will you believe right now in Jesus Christ as your Savior? It means you trust him. You put your faith in him right now. Nobody's looking around, heads bowed, eyes closed, and, and the quietness of your, of your own mind. Will you believe it? If you will, God gives you everlasting life. And I want to know that. If you just believed for the first time, I'd like to know that. Would you raise your hand and let me know? Anyone in the crowd for the first time? You say, yeah, Trent, I believe that for the first time. Any hands? Well, and anyone over the internet, if you believe that for the first time, you can send us an email. You're saved. You're saved forever the moment you believe. But now, for you and I, believer in Jesus Christ, are we being doers of the word, or are we being hearers only? We're not going to be perfect at it, but we should strive to obey what God says to do because we're saved. Heavenly Father, I thank you that um, you just helped me to, uh, that you've helped me to understand some of your word. Thank you that I could share what I've uh, been reading and studying. Thank you for Pastor Jesse, who is so faithful to present your word and give the gospel every week. Thank you for the elders and the deacons of this ministry, all the members and just everyone here. I pray that we could just be doers of the word and get the gospel out more and more and just reach more with the gospel. That's the whole point. Thank you so much for Jesus Christ who died to pay for all of our sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.